one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. A jolly hello. A jolly hello. Uh, Guess what it is? Today, which by the time people listen to this will be yesterday. Yeah, guess what yesterday was, guys. Guess what yesterday was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one month till our book comes out. One month till the book comes out. Na, 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 na. We haven't worked out how, how many days though, have we? It's, um, no. 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 Not sure how many days, but it's Don't. one month. Don't ruin it. Sorry. Um, I <laughs> went on Amazon and saw how well we're doing. And? Well, we're number four in the conception, like conceiving chart. But above that, Elizabeth Day times two, which I'm absolutely fine by. And a, sure. another fiction book. So we're the top non-fiction book in the, oh. the trying to conceive chart. Top non-fiction. Mm-hmm. Yes, mate. I think that's quite um, good, right? That is really good. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I'm fucking stoked. I'm Imagine if we could... Don't. Knock Elizabeth Day off the top, though. I don't want to knock her off. I like her enormously. I like her a lot as well. But I, I think she just had a moment in the sun. <laughs> Elizabeth, if you're listening to this, and I hope you are, but I doubt you are. Um, <laughs> I think like we support your right. We're women who support women. Yeah, I actually want to get magpie uh, in my stocking. But so I haven't I. told anyone, so I think it's going to be after me <laughs> that puts it in my stocking. Well, Gabby, if you've been a good girl, then Santa will bring it because he knows. Um, okay, well, that's that's that covered. What are we doing this episode, Gab? Well, let me tell you. We're talking mm-hmm. to uh, Professor Joyce Harper. Oh, oop, my gosh. Ooh, ooh, it's the sound of the science. Ooh, ooh, it's the sound <laughs> of the science. <laughs> she is. I mean, we've kind of kind of known her for a while, haven't we? Like kind I mean, of yeah. come across her a few times. She's on the scene if you're in, in the infertility scene. Yeah, she's but on. she's on several scenes because the night that we recorded, she was off to see Little Sims. Oh my god, I was so jealous. Yeah. With all her and I quote, wild swimming pals. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, you're so cool. So she's a hipster. She is a proper she's hipster. An absolute hipster. Like you and your living in Ramsgate bollocks. 
it's nothing you're not even close although you <laughs> so, do wild really, swim yeah i yeah i do occasionally run into the sea and go ah and run <laughs> back out again um but i don't go to see little sims i don't go to see anything and I wish I could go and see Little Sims because so her new album is fucking excellent. Yeah, I had a song off it the other day. I was very impressed. It's very good. Um, okay, can I tell you why I wanted to to talk to Joyce? Please do. Okay, so I wanted to talk to Joyce about reading science mm. because there were a lot of times, and there still are a lot of times, to be honest, that I am up until like stupid o'clock in the morning um, Googling stuff and I get a scientific research paper that comes up and I want to know how to read that research paper and like whether it's a good quality study or a bad quality study and how to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and like which bits you should read because like a lot of them are like thousands and thousands of words long and they're really boring, like so yeah. boring. It's just kind of glaze over. Yeah, exactly. So which bits should you read? Like, do you just skip to the end? What do you do? So I wanted to ask her about that. Um, it's off the back of a study that came out recently and it was a study into PGTA, which is also has been also known as PGT, pre-implantation genetic testing. And um, it's a form of PGT that is not recommended by the HFEA, which is the kind of governing body that looks over IVF, mm. overseas IVF. That's the word that I was looking for. Um, and I couldn't... Like, I couldn't really understand why that study was quite, it was quite scorned by quite a few people. Um, So I wanted to talk to her about that and like why, you know, why that wasn't seen as a good quality study. Um, And she's like such a legend. She She is a legend. She's the perfect person to talk about stuff because not only is she professor of reproductive science at the Institute for Women's Health at University College London, Not only has she been in the field of women's health and embryology for 30 years, not only has she written a book about female fertility called Your Fertile Years, which um, we should all definitely check out, but she also went through seven years of infertility treatment herself. Yeah, and she's hilarious. Yeah, she's and she's fucking hilarious. (laughs) So it just made her the perfect person to talk about this stuff. Um, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I haven't like sold it. I think you have. I think what the thing is, we often and have for since the beginning kind of advocated for, you know, doing your own research and mm-hmm. and find, you know, kind of arming yourself with the info that you need. And I think this is kind of just part of that, isn't it? It's like this yeah. is how you have a look at research papers and kind of you're able to make your own mind up a little bit. I mean, you know, there'll be there'll be some people that would be like oh, why would the, why would I want to do that like fuck that <laughs> but there'll be some people who really do you know those times when it's like three in the morning and you're like googling and you're like trying to find something to give yeah. you something like any little piece of evidence or whatever like yeah. it's just kind of useful for those people really I think like, it is I think it's good to be science literate when you're going through this stuff and also like I just think you know it's good to understand why the HFEA is recommending against a treatment like if your clinic says oh you should do this you should do that you then look at the HFEA recommendation and maybe it says no or maybe it says it's okay yeah Um, but then you can go and do your own research yeah exactly and decide why not so why not exactly Um, so it was a nice chat it was a really nice chat and I've got a lot of time for her I've got so much time for her um okay so I guess the other things that we need to talk about are no Professor Tim this week again I know no show um 
Yeah. And then the other thing is that we've got no show next week because it's Christmas. Yes, we are um, taking a little Christmas break. Yeah. But we will be, we'll be on the socials. We will be on the socials. Um, yeah, we'll be around. Cheerleading you from the sidelines. Absolutely. And then we're back um, in the beginning of January. Yeah. Back cool. in your earphones in 2022. Yeah. So, um, if you want to chat to us, you can Negative. You can Twitter us at Big Fat Negative. You can email us Big Fat Negative Podcast at gmail.com. Please, please pre order our book. It's out on the 20th of January. Very exciting. Um, or you can go on our website, buy some merch. You can buy a just relaxed t shirt or jumper for the season. Or tote. Or tote. I always forget that there's a tote. Don't forget that there's a tote. The tote's the best one. Totes. Don't forget the totes. Yeah. Um, you can rate and review the podcast if you fancy it. Please do that. But only nice ones. Only nice ones. And you can or you can also buy us a, a coffee, essentially. A Ko-Fi. A Ko-Fi. Ko-Fi. You can find us on Ko-Fi. The link is in our Instagram. Um, yeah. But we are also asking people to pre-order a book. So we recognise that that's a lot of, it's a lot of ass. Yeah. Like, do pick one. So pick, yeah, pick one. Pick, pick one, one that you're most comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and enjoy the episode. Hi, right, mate. Hello, how are you doing? Um, it's, been, it's been a long time since we last spoke. And at least 30 seconds, not even actually. Not, even not definitely seconds. not even. I would say like five seconds. <laughs> I think that little jingle is on for. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, it's Christmas week. It's Christmas week. Tis, uh, tis what four days before Christmas? Five days before Christmas? Four, four. And I know that it's Christmas because I have a glass of wine on the go, and it's a Monday. Do you? Yeah, I do. I do. That's shocking that I don't. Well, cabs. Like Rubble normally, reversal. I'm not a weekday drinker. No, you're not. I'm not. I put limits on myself, and one of those is weekdays. And by weekday, I mean Monday to Thursday. Okay. Yes, of yeah. course. Friday's definitely um, not included. Sure, Thursday yeah, doesn't sneak like, in sometimes. No, Thursday sneaks in a lot. Yeah. yeah but, um, yeah, I'm, but it's Christmas week. It is Christmas week. It's Christmas it's week fun. and it's fucked up. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I thought I would talk about today. Yeah. It's my subject of the day. If we were doing, like, a show and tell. Ding, 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 ding. I would bring, I've never done show and tell. I don't really understand. It's like an American thing. We don't do it in this country, right? Mm, yeah, I don't know what you mean. Yeah. Anyway, um, I would bring anxiety. Ah, uh, yes. To the table. Old anxiety. It is, I would say, high level. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all a bit, like, we all kind of approached Christmas thinking it was going to be the one. We did. The one. And now it's kind of been scuppered. I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about this, because obviously when you're going through infertility, Christmas is a difficult time. It's always shit. And the the potential upside, I was thinking, is that you don't, you know, because obviously we, we always say, you know, feel free to cancel your plans. Like, don't go if you know it's going to upset you, if you don't feel robust, if you know there's going to be children there, if it's going to trigger you, don't go. Now you kind of like got a very good excuse to just say no to everything. Mm-hmm. But also I know that sometimes seeing your family and friends can be revitalizing during a TTC struggle. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a shit 
shit sandwich? Is it a shit sandwich? No. It's a shit sandwich in that it's a big load of shit between two pieces of bread. It's not a shit sandwich in the management sense, where you say something nice and you say something mean and you say something nice. No. (laughs) It's not that kind. I can't believe after all these years I haven't got my management speak correct. (laughs) Um, You're a business journalist, are you? I know. (laughs) Anyway. um, Yeah, it's like, is it a double-edged sword? We, no, no, it's that... just a big pile of steaming shite. <laughs> I'm trying to use that. That's what it is. <laughs> Come on, Emma, help me out here. Um, yeah, it's pretty shit. But you can, obviously, you can say no to things now in a more easy way. So we're going to take that as a plus and run with it. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I'd say I, I put a thing on my stories yesterday that was like, here's a picture of some lights on my tree. Anybody got any ways of dealing with this like pre-lockdown anxiety that is definitely happening in me? Mm. So last night, basically having a panic attack. Then my neighbour, who like basically um, rents out sound systems, and has spent basically spent the whole of the last lockdown like playing the loudest music ever, mm. and has stopped since everything's been open again. But then last night the tunes were back on, and I just went into an emotional place that I have not been in for a while. Um. So I was just like, right, who's got who's got tips? And I would say the number one tip that came from people was turn off the news, mm. which is hard in my job. You are the news. I am the news. <laughs> I make the news. Um, but number two tip, drink wine. Yeah. Number three tip, um, find things to kind of distract yourself. So a lot of people like craft. And like, which I do do, I like knit quite a lot and occasionally mm. crochet. Um, so that, yeah, and, and it's true, it is quite nice. And somebody said like, it's just about having things that you can control. So things that you manage. Mm-hmm. And that's true, massively true. Somebody else said make a list of things that you like doing at home. Yes. Which again is true. Yeah, I mean, I think, so is it, th- these tips are kind of similar to TTC coping tips aren't they it's like distract yourself find things you do like find the positives if you can um I think my I mean my lockdown tips are basically buy a big coat and seek out legal ways to find to see your friends yeah the thing about if people aren't going home for Christmas then your friends are potentially more likely to be about so you can just kind of make plans to see people go and grab a coffee go for a walk um Absolutely. you know all of that kind of stuff and just have plans in the diary because I think when you've got these little um punctuations of the kind of lockdown then it kind of helps I think to kind of get through it I think you're yeah. like yeah but I'm going for a walk with so and so and then I'm doing this and blah, 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 even though you can't do everything you want to do obviously do you know what I did, what did last you night I, oh. I, another tip was CBD gummies and I did some did you yeah very inappropriately they're called mummy gummies I didn't let that stop me. I just thought mummy as in the like dead Egyptian sense. Oh God. Okay. No one buy the mummy gummies guys. That's, uh, um, I mean, there's so many CBD. I was going to ask you which ones you bought because whenever I go to buy some, there's always so many, I get a bit bamboozled. I think I feel like I need a yeah. recommendation. Well, someone recommended those to me. Did they? Yeah. Following my BFN account. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. you know, they got to yeah. be some good shit, right? Yeah. I mean, you bought me CD, CBD oil last year for Christmas. I did. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it was quite it's quite complicated, isn't it? Because it like you have to keep it in the fridge and then I, I was a bit scared of it to be honest. I think yeah. um I feel like a gummy I'd be more chilled. You know, my propensity for eating Haribo would come into yeah. play and I think I'd be okay with it. But the kind of drops onto your tongue felt a little bit Yeah. Bit bit much for me. Do you know they scared. they reminded me of being a teenager because when I was a kid I refused to smoke weed and so occasionally like I would eat it. Uh-huh. And the CBD CBD oil tasted exactly like oh. that. Like I I quite often brew it in tea. How oh, would you? Yeah, I don't think it did anything. <laughs> I used to um, put it in yogurts. Did you? Yeah, not. I mean, I I was never a fan, but I was going out with someone who was a big fan. Yeah, and so the only way for me insane. to engage with him was to join in. And is that because you didn't smoke? Yeah, well, I did. Oh, I also smoked. Yeah, don't get right, me wrong. Okay. Um, I smoked it and I put it in yogurts. And I just, it's just not my vibe. They, so everybody always used to tell me that when um, <laughs> the only way to activate it was to um, have some kind of dairy product with hmm. it. Hmm. Well, there Do you people go. tell you that? It's That's not why I put it in yogurts. Yeah. <laughs> it's just easier to eat when it's strawberry flavored. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we've we've digressed quite a lot. I yes, don't recommend have. listeners that you seek out your local weed dealer and put it into your Christmas yogurt. <laughs> um, although, you know, if you're feeling fruity, I suppose you could. <laughs> feeling fruity? Um, no, we don't recommend that at all. But um, <laughs> well, my other lockdown thing was, and this is ridiculously obvious, but find a good TV series. I mean, yeah, I I basically kind of. I can kind of talk to you about the various lockdowns through the television I was watching at the time. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like each one was kind of characterized by yeah. the TV show that I was obsessed with. Yeah. I mean, there was the, um, there yeah. was the Tiger King lockdown. <laughs> yeah. And then there was the Selling Sunset lockdown. Oh yeah. That was a good one. That was a good lockdown. That was a good lockdown. I had the um, Taskmaster lockdown. The Taskmaster lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. That was um, great. I suspect this is going to be the Selling Tampa lockdown. Oh yeah, I'm really saving that one. Yeah, nice, nice, mm. nice. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame Strictly's over because that is I'm I'm now. I never used to watch it until lockdown, right? So the first lockdown hit, and right. I thought I maybe needed some dancing. And now I'm I'm such a fan of the show. I just think it's great for just it's just so uplifting and jolly, right? And like, how can you just not be just filled with warmth? Like it, man, it makes me cry, but in like happy tears and like, oh my God, man. Yeah, it's a shame it's over. I do love a sequin. <laughs> love a sequin. Love, love a sequin. dance move. I can't dance. No, nor can I. No. I just get jealous when I watch it. My husband's quite good on the dance floor. Yeah, he is. I quite like to see him on Strictly. Oh, he'd be good. I think he'd be really good. And he'd probably win because he's like such a nice character. <laughs> Yeah. I, think, I think he would come across really well on camera i'll tell him you said that he'll be very happy yeah he'd be heartwarming he would he would be heartwarming he'd have a good backstory <laughs> he would <laughs> exactly everyone would be in floods of tears yeah um anyway um regardless of what you do this christmas guys we very much hope that it's a good one yeah and you know and the usual tips apply if you are going to see family family members who have kids and friends that have kids just you know just tell them to fuck off just be like fuck you <laughs> just tell them to fuck off to fuck off <laughs> yeah I, imagine if yeah. you did that 
Imagine. at the dinner table. That would be funny. Yeah, I got you a present. I got you a big fucking bucket of fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> I was going to say find reasons to escape. Um, and I was going to recommend, because me and my husband always do this every year on Christmas Day, which we always kind of steal ourselves away and listen to Adam Buxton's Christmas Day podcast oh. with Joe Cornish. It's like our, it's like a new Christmas tradition for me. I We've done that. it every year since he started doing it. And things like that, I think, where you can kind of pull yourself out of the fucking mayhem and just go and have a bit of fucking, you know, yeah, time. Get out of there. Read a book. Listen to Adam Buxton. Yeah. Do whatever. Tell your family to fuck off. Have some CBD gummies. Tell you some CBD gummies. Give your, give your family a big box to fuck off. <laughs> I just think, can if you do do that, listeners, please just email in and tell us how it went. I would like to hear it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's some stories I'd like to hear. Whilst you're um, passing the roses around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that I incidentally, so. incidentally, what's your rose choice? Mm, I find it really hard. Do you? Um, I like the fudgy ones. You like the fudgy ones? No one likes the fudgy ones. They're always the last I, ones. That's Yeah, I know. That's good for you, I suppose. Well, um, whatever it is, like, have a lovely Christmas, everyone. Have a lovely Christmas, guys. We are thinking of you all. Our thoughts are with you. And just, you know, just remember, I would say my big thing is Christmas is yours too, man. It's a jolly time. Mm. Just because you are struggling to conceive doesn't mean you can't have a nice time at Christmas and have some drinks and have some chockies and don't worry about feeling guilty. Yeah, good advice. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. very well how are you <laughs> we are very pleased to be talking to you <laughs> like, so also can I just say that for once we're recording in the middle of the day which um which is just really nice because it's just nice to kind of chat to somebody in the middle of the day normally it's late at night I'm tired Gabby's tired our guests it's are tired dark. 
Yeah. I've had a couple of glasses of wine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Joyce, before we kind of launch into the mechanics, I was just wondering if you could give us a kind of quick overview of your career to date, because I just think it's so interesting what you do. And the fact that you've seen IVF from both ends of the spectrum. Yes, it's a pleasure. So um, I'm a scientist. I did an undergrad in biochemistry and then a PhD. Mm-hmm. And um, it was quite quite early on that I started looking for a job, quite early on in IVF. So right. Louise Brown, I think everyone knows, was born in 1978. Yeah. And I finished my PhD in 1987, so right. not quite mm-hmm. 10 years after Louise Brown was born. And I literally just saw a job for a clinical embryologist, which was an incredibly new field then. I didn't really even know what it meant <laughs> um, mm. and um, applied for this job and got it and never looked back. It, it's been um, really fabulous to have started as a clinical embryologist, which I did for about five years. But I really wanted to do research. and I really wanted to teach. And I was getting more and more involved in management and admin, etc. So mm. Um, in 1992, I decided to join the Hammersmith Hospital um, group that were working on pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. So that mm-hmm. was Robert Winston and Alan Handyside and worked on that for, for many years, for a couple of decades, actually. Um, did a lot of lab work, a lot of organising things such as setting up the European Society of Human Reproduction and Embryology, that's mm-hmm. ESHRA. Um, we set up mm. a, a big consortium in 1997, and it's been been really wonderful. But with the commercialization of, of pre-implantation genetic testing um, and, and the complications that that arose, which we might speak about later. We might, um, yes. Yeah, we might. <laughs> um, I often talk about it with a bit of a sigh. Um, but um, I... So I, I, I was very aware about the whole add-on debate, which I think we will talk about, um, mm-hmm. back in, in, in mid-1995 when pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy started. Yeah. And so about six years ago, seven years ago, um, I've probably got that totally wrong. I forget how many years disappeared. But we decided to shut the PGT programme that we were doing at University College London, where I mm-hmm. worked, after much discussion and debate. And I decided to have a bit of a midlife change of, of view of my research and started working on fertility education, um, especially with relation to the public. Yeah. And I, I've always loved talking to patients. Back when I was an embryologist, I used to run at the patient evenings and loved telling patients about what they were undergoing. Um, so my teaching is not just for, for students, but also for for people, not not just patients. Right. So that's that's been wonderful. We've set up the International Fertility Education Initiative, and we're just about to announce, um, hopefully in the next few days, probably when this comes out, that the International Fertility Education Initiative is going to become part of ESHRA. Oh, wow. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I think if you Google it today, you will see our, our new website. Um, okay. But I, I think it's really, really important to make sure that People have the information to make yeah. their own decision about what mm. they want to do with their fertility. And I really experienced this firsthand because I went through seven years of fertility treatment to have mm-hmm. my children. For many years, I thought I would never uh, have, a, have, a, have any children. Mm-hmm. So I did go to, to both sides of this. And I, I really 
understand how patients feel. And I so I want to make sure that people are really aware of uh, fertility information so that they can make an informed decision. So we're, we're working with schools, we're working globally, we're working with adults um, and all different um, people from from different backgrounds, the LGBT community, etc. It's it's interesting in the context of um, quite recently there was somebody who at one of the Cambridge colleges, or Oxford's colleges, an Oxbridge college, who tried to launch fertility education initiative for the female students because it's an all girls college or all women college, and um, came in for quite a lot of flack about that. Yeah, so she was actually at Cambridge. I actually live near Cambridge. Right. So I, I did do a few interviews with the press about it. Um, and I said, um, the basics of what she said was was correct, but she shouldn't concentrate on women. Um, yeah. It takes it takes two to make a baby. Yeah. And that's one, one mistake we've made for many, many years. We've yeah. just given this the impression that it's a, it's a woman's issue. And it's not. Um, it takes two to make a baby. There's a much male infertility as there is female infertility yeah. and and yes female fertility female fertility declines with age so there's some important information we've got to tell um, men and women about uh-huh. that um but it it does it does take two well it doesn't always take two because we obviously can help single men and women have children yeah. um but it, it takes it basically it does take two no matter mm. how you do it it yeah. takes an egg and a sperm um yeah. so um yeah, and also lots of people decide not to have children. Uh-huh. And mm. we are asking, we're doing surveys about people's attitudes to fertility and especially teenagers. And we're asking them, how do they feel now? And yes, not not all people want to have children. They choose not uh-huh. to. So we have to respect everyone's views. And as I said, I, I, I don't think we should tell anyone what they should do. We should just give them information so they make up their own mind. Yeah, absolutely. I was very anti having children until I was pro having children. Yeah, (laughs) a light switch gets flicked and you're like oh wait i must have one now yeah um yesterday in fact yesterday (laughs) exactly um so i wanted to talk to you because you are on the hfea's science and clinical advances advisory committee which is a hard one to say after a couple of glasses of wine i imagine um essentially you help the hfea to decide which procedures and processes and treatments are okay and which are not and a lot of that is about add-ons right uh yes so i i was advisor to the committee for many many years um mm-hmm. i've actually this a couple of months ago just um finished my term and my right. term was m- much longer than it should have been okay um, <laughs> um i kept trying to leave they kept saying no 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 we need you on. <laughs> um, but but it but but it's been really really terrific it might be to see the HFEA be very proactive in setting up this traffic light system which obviously I I was one of the advisors and helped design the traffic light system and giving that information to patients and I'm I'm really pleased to be working with the Australian team now who are also um, looking at add-ons and they're they're doing a they've done a big piece of research and we're just analyzing the data now we're going to write that up for next year and also Eshra who I've mentioned a few times Mm -hmm. um I'm on the ESHRA group who are looking at add-ons are going to write an ESHRA position statement about IVF add-ons, which will be coming out in 2022 as well. And we have a very, very long list on, on the ESHRA study and also on the Australian study. So the HFEA yeah. list is quite small, um, mm. but uh, it, it does take time with the HFEA 
mm, to, yeah. to get things sort of through the system. But these other two groups are going to have a much longer list okay. of, of add-ons. And I wanted to say my definition of an add-on is that it's something that's not necessary for yeah. a treatment. Right. So even there's a lot of discussion about if an if a, if a add-on turned green, it wouldn't be an add-on. But I think it still would. There might be, mm-hmm. when it does, when we do have something that turns green, yeah. it's still something that's not essential for yeah. your treatment cycle. So you could do without it. And people may decide not to do it because it might be costly or it might not be appropriate for their particular demographic. We yeah. might in the future find that certain age groups or certain infertility reasons will benefit from a particular add-on. So I think mm-hmm. it would still still go green. And yeah. so I think I think the HFEA traffic light system does work quite well. Well, one thing that really surprised me was that once I remember you saying that um, ICSI is technically an add-on. No, ICSI for um, non-male factor. So ICSI for male factor infertility is not an add-on because if you didn't have many sperm from the guy, you have no choice but to right. do ICSI. So yeah. that's different. That is necessary for that cycle. But mm-hmm. for non-male factor, so if there's no male factor reason, you've got lots of sperm, millions of sperm, you don't need to do ICSI. So ICSI is not necessary. So ICSI for non-male factor is definitely an add-on. And does okay. that happen very often? Uh, yes. In some countries, they've developed ICSI, uh, well, IVF stroke ICSI, where they do ICSI for every single person. Wow. So in those, and in those and charge them, yes. Um, so there's, there's quite a few countries where ICSI is absolutely the norm. It's mm. done for everybody. They just don't do IVF. And that was the view that at the beginning that ICSI might give you a better fertilization rate. It might give you a better uh, pregnancy and life birth rate. But there are studies, there's been many large, good quality studies that have been done, and they have very clearly shown that for non-male factor, there's no benefit of doing ICSI. And my view is always we do as little intervention as we need to. So if we don't need to do it, yeah. I personally, having been through it, I, I just think we, we just need to do as little intervention as we can. Yeah. And so if you don't need ICSI, I wouldn't advise ICSI. Can you talk to us about the process a little bit. So how, I mean, how do things end up on the list for a start? And then, and then how do you decide which colour to go? I mean, how does, okay. it, all, how does it all work? <laughs> so, so as I said, the HWA list is quite short and uh, we picked the obvious ones that we were yeah. very aware that have been around for literally decades. And what we did is we, even I don't feel I've got the expertise to study the, the the research in um, great detail on a statistical basis. And so um, the HFEA um, got the help of a professor of um, statistics, basically, Andy Vale, who, who's a professor in Manchester, and he's published a lot on these topics. So he's the one who analysed all the data together. So, for example, if there were three studies and the study we need to do for these add-ons is called a randomized controlled trial and I know that sounds complicated but it's really not all it means is that you have two groups of patients and you analyze what happens to them so one group is the control so they'll just go through normal IVF and the other group will be the treatment group and that will be the group that will have the add-on so say for example if we were doing assisted hatching then the treatment group they would have assisted hatching on their embryos. And then what you do is you 
do this for however long it takes to get a good number of patients. And we do this what we call blind. So as few people as possible know who's in what, what patients in what group. So, for example, the clinician wouldn't know. The embryologist would know who's had what, but the clinician wouldn't know and the patient wouldn't know. And then um, what's really important when we're looking at add-ons is that the the end point, what we call the primary outcome, needs to be actually actually delivery of a baby. So some people talk about pregnancy or fertilization or the number of embryos or success or outcome, but it has to be the birth of a baby. So what we call life birth rate. Yeah. So that's how we design the studies. They're very easy. And then what happens is that at the end, you do all this great statistics and you work out whether the life birth rate from the control group and the treatment group differ. And if it's, if it's better in the um, treatment group, that it's statistically better, then we would say that add-on would improve the chances of you having a baby. Uh, if it, and if it's no effect, or sometimes they've been worse. I was going to say, have yeah. been worse? Can you imagine? <laughs> they have. They have. There's a few PGT studies of aneuploidy where they showed that it was worse to be in the PGT for aneuploidy group. They had a lower life birth rate. And, and the oh, first God. paper of this was many, many years ago, yeah. uh, back in the OOs. Um, yeah. And there's been a, other, a few other studies like that. Um, and there could be very many reasons why the, the, the techniques affecting it. So it's really simple. It's, it's really not that complicated. And then what you do is if what Andy Vale does is if we've got, say, two or three studies these randomized control trials from different groups that are on the same topic. He'll analyze all of their data together. So he does really high powered statistics. Yeah. And um, these, these, are, these are what we call meta-analyses or systematic reviews where he'll look mm. at two or three or four studies, analyze them all and say, um, right, when you look at all of these studies, this is what we see. Because obviously the more numbers you have and good quality studies, the more um we can be sure that the data is not just a glitch so it's really important to do that and um there's a, a a set of journals called the Cochrane reviews and this is what they do they were set up by Archie Cochrane and we call him the grandfather of evidence-based medicine and so the <laughs> the, the Cochrane the Cochrane reviews will um all different topics or many many different topics uh, they will uh, do these systematic reviews or meta-analysis, look at all of the studies together, and they will then say, yes, it's a benefit or no, it's not a benefit. And they will update it. Obviously, it has to be updated. So when a new study comes out, then uh, the Cochrane team have got to have a look and, and reanalyze everything and say, OK, now it's the same or better or worse or whatever. So that's, mm. that's how we do evidence-based medicine. And that's what the HFEA did. That's how they decided if it had, if the studies showed no evidence or there'd been no studies done, then we gave it a rare traffic light. Yeah. If the studies um, were conflicting, there might be one that showed it did help and one that showed it didn't help. Um, we gave it an amber. And if the studies showed that there was a benefit of using, using this add-on, then we will hopefully at some point give it a green <laughs> but there aren't any greens <laughs> at the there was, moment <laughs> there was one study that came out recently that I found really interesting it's kind of a live example because it was tweeted by 
a fertility group that I will not name, but that's fairly <laughs> reliable and well respected. Um, and and so I kind of put it, you know, post it on my Instagram saying, you know, this looks interesting. And then the next thing I saw was Professor Joyce Harper <laughs> being like, Sorry. not a good study. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you just, can you kind of share what was wrong with that study and why, you know, why it, it was, I think somebody else called it bullshit. <laughs> I did. Oh, yeah. I definitely wouldn't have said that word. <laughs> yeah. not, 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 not on social media. Um, <laughs> um, so... Um, as I've said, evidence-based medicine <clears throat> is the randomized control trial and then summaries of, of two, three, four, ten, whatever, randomized control trials. Um, that study you're talking about had looked at the, some of the HFEA data. Right. So it had just got a batch of HFEA data mm-hmm. and it analyzed it in a particular way. And it said that PGTA improved live birth. Mm-hmm. Um, that is flawed in many, many respects. Um, it's it's a very biased way of looking at it. It's not setting controls of um, who was included in the groups, who wasn't included in the groups. So, as I said, I'm not a statistical expert, but all the statistical experts that looked at that, that paper said it was a very, very poor study. It, it also wasn't in one of the most highest journals. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, so you'd always question why wasn't this study in a more um, important journal? Yeah. Um, so, for example, one common journal that we publish in is Human Reproduction. Um, right. But um, I think a paper like that that would have gone to Human Reproduction would have been rejected for right. publication because it was yeah. the methodology was too flawed. But we don't expect the public to understand that. That's that's quite high level um, statistics and high level. Um, scientific research so when you see a paper come out like this and I know there were messages going around from the group that did it like oh this is it the HFA are going to have to change the traffic light for PGTA Um, and then you see all the messages from the statisticians that say no (laughs) that's not how we do evidence-based medicine no there's, there's obviously I, I've talked to you about randomized controlled trials and, mm-hmm. and these systematic meta-analyses. Um, there are other types of studies. There's things like um, a case report. So you've got one patient, and, and, and people often use this in debates when we talk about various parts of IVF. We often have debates, and they they say, but we had a patient <laughs> who got pregnant yeah. during this, standing on a head and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, you, you can always find the end of, we call it the end of one, where you just have oh, yeah. one person in your study. <laughs> Obviously, that's that's not appropriate. Yeah. So a, a, a case report is not appropriate. And then we've got things like controls, case control studies and cohort studies, which give us some useful information to where we might want to design a more high-powered study. Right. But mm. real evidence-based medicine is doing these blind randomized control trials where we can really be sure we've controlled any bias there's there's people people don't know what's what group they're going to be in Mm -hmm. we can do a really proper high quality study and be sure that when we've got our outcome that we know that um, it's a, a true result yeah. So that's what we have to be very careful in. There's lots of research that's done that's very poor quality. And what's important is that it doesn't get published. But unfortunately, sometimes it does slip through. 
yeah. um, as this study did. And um, it what the method was really highly flawed. So I always say with statistics, um, if you know what you're doing, you could make anything look important. Mm, yeah. uh, it's like it's like having a good accountant, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can make your tax return zero, <laughs> no matter what. Um, yeah. And yeah, so looking looking at data in a particular way, you can yeah. you can almost, but there are ways of doing it, and there's robust ways, and we must uh, do really high quality research and make sure that we follow good principles and don't publish things that are really misleading. Yeah, I mean, you know, as an IVF patient or a fertility patient um, or somebody just trying to get pregnant, to be honest, um, there are times at three o'clock in the morning where you're up Googling stuff and you come across papers on the internet and you're like, oh, this paper showed that eating uh, pineapple really helped people to get pregnant. What what should you be looking out for? I mean, you mentioned the kind of the quality of the journal there. What about, um, I don't know, what else should you be looking for? Are there certain words that you can look mm. for or yeah, like that... a kite mark? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately not. Um, so in, in my book that I published this year, I have yes. written some information about um, trying to help people mm-hmm. uh, really wade their way through this minefield of information about about fertility and and it is a real minefield I mean what I've just said is that even something that's published might not be of good quality because things do slip through and and as soon as my master's students arrive every September the first thing I tell them is don't believe everything you read in a scientific journal you've got (laughs) to and I I spend the next year teaching them so how does an IVF patient Mm. sift through this it's it's really hard um and and then and then then what we get as well is we get the press pick things up Mm -hmm. and then they sort of um merge it into something slightly different as well you know Mm. I I know there was one about drinking there was a study a poor study that said that drinking red wine would help your fertility yeah but it it didn't look at your chance of having a baby it looked at various other things which are very indirect but you know the press loved it you need to drink wine every every day (laughs) 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 sounds great but unfortunately I think some of these things are dangerous because yeah. they're re- really leading people to think, oh, yes, I must do that. I must do this. You know, we're looking at a study at the moment about exercise. So there's there's quite a lot about doing too much exercise when you're trying to get pregnant. It's not mm. good for the man or the woman. Uh-huh. Um, but not doing any is not good either. I mean, how do you navigate that? How do yeah. you know what one pe- one person thinks is a lot of exercise? Oh, the next yeah. person um if it's Paula Radcliffe she'll think what we do is <laughs> is nothing <laughs> you know so everyone's interpretation so I absolutely appreciate it's a minefield and it's not helped by all of this information I mean one important point around fertility education is that all of the information and decades of really high quality research yeah. absolutely shows that a woman's fertility declines in her 30s yeah um and I really want people to know that. And there's no, we're trying to see if there's a softer way of, of telling women this. Yeah. Um, and, and this year we've been, we're discussing very much about language and about how we can present this information. Yeah. So what's happened is that even on social media, some women have called me a liar yeah. and said, God. no, you're lying. Joyce Harper's lying. You see, one, one woman said, UCL need to sack her. She's telling wrong information. 
the information I've given is from the American Society of Reproductive Medicine. It's from the British Facility Society. I mean, every society globally, all of us professionals would agree that trying to get pregnant from your mid-30s onwards gets incredibly difficult. There's decades of Mm. huge data on this. Um, But there's some people that say, no, your chance of getting pregnant in your late 30s and your late 20s is exactly the same or very close, which is just not backed up by high quality data and well one of them said oh but my doctor told me this Uh, and so we're discussing how we deal with um incorrect information so you know I I kept thinking this fertility education was going to be quite straightforward and then I've realized (laughs) it's still controversial because we've got people who are giving this false information people giving misleading information about add-ons about treatments about fertility um and then we've got this issue around language that we've got to be very gentle and very um think very carefully about how we use words to tell people um what what kind of like language discussions have you come like what are the kind of things that you think are better to use because it is an interesting one and I I mean Emma I don't know if you're the same but I I often find myself in conversations with women who are my age I'm 37 um you know and it comes up like oh you know so and so didn't have any trouble getting pregnant at 41 and blah 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 and I have to bite my tongue because I'm like how do I have this conversation with the information that I have I don't want to scare people and I don't want to seem like a bitch (laughs) but I'm like yeah (laughs) You should probably do something about this now. <laughs> that, that's exactly where we are. And um, uh, back in 2019, we made a fertility education poster. And, and again, I've had people, I mean, this was by the, this international fertility education we've got is the world leaders in fertility education. Some yeah. countries have done absolutely fabulous work and, and we've got them together in this group. And um, it's a very evidence-based poster. And um, again, we were told that we were lying, we yeah. were scaremongering. Um, so we've spent all this year discussing how we try and have the right language. Um, and it's really important as well on the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Um, some terms that, that might be used now um, are not as not acceptable anymore. And they might have been acceptable a few years ago. So we have, we have to really keep up with making sure we use the right language. Um, yeah. and not offend we do not want to offend anyone we do not want to upset anyone no. so I don't have the answer at the moment mm. but our international group we have a, a committee who are working on this and we're looking at what we've done so far and how we can uh, present this information so for example we've done a schools a pilot school survey about what young people think about um, fertility and what they've learned in school around sex and fertility. And they were allowed to comment on how we could improve this education. And many of them said that um, sex and fertility education in schools was too heteronormative. It was not LGBT inclusive and that we, we could be offending, and the teachers could be offending. But it, it, we've got to keep up. So this is going to be an ongoing um, project to look at language. And, and we are going to make mistakes. We, yeah. we don't mean to make mistakes and we don't want to. Um, but I think we've got to learn from them and find out the best way to say it. So at this moment in time, I haven't got the answer, but we are working on it. <laughs> it must be so hard to be a scientist in 2021. Just like <laughs> having facts and then having to be I guess 
we've just been more blunt about it in the past. We we have, and and I'm I'm a very black and white person. I I I say it as it is, and I I have been uh, blunt in the past, um, mm. and I, I've I've learned the hard way. I have really had some uh, problems in the past with people saying to me, "You can't say that." Um, so yeah. um, so I have learned the hard way. But I think yeah. as long as we know what we're trying to do and we we try to improve. Uh-huh. Um, and listen to listen to the right people. So what we need to do is listen, sit down with men and women in their 30s, 35, 40, 45, and mm-hmm. ask them, how do you feel about this? If we say it like this, how do you feel about it? So yeah. we've got to do some research and make sure. I, mean, I, I always say that how we teach fertility education to the 40-year-old woman and the 18-year-old boy are not the same. Mm. Yeah. Very true. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got to use different, well, the, the information is the same, but we've got to use different words so yeah. that we can be as um, sympathetic as possible to not offending anybody. Oh. Yes. So that's what I'm going to do for the next 10 years. Good. Well, God bless you. <laughs> I thought this was going to be easy. <laughs> can we just very quickly go back to um, the, the, like looking at studies and reading studies? Um, so what I mean, when I was going through IVF, when I, my sister's a scientist, so I would find a study and I would just send it to her and be like, How, what does that say? Um, but is it enough to read, you know, usually at the top, there's like a summary or a conclusion that you can read that will tell you the kind of vague results. Is it enough just to read that? So I, I personally try to make my papers as uh, readable by the public as I can and I'm always telling my co-authors that's what we need to do because what what yeah. happens now is that um, certainly if, we, if you work in a university all your papers need to be open access so that uh-huh. means anybody could read them before they were all tucked away in journals and you had to subscribe to the journal to get a copy or you had to pay or whatever so they were quite buried from the public but now they're not now they're open and I think we need to take on board that we have a wider audience. It's not just a scientific audience. Mm. I mean, I read some papers and I don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> I think, I was like, what is that? What are they some of them I don't understand the title. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so I think that's really important. Um, and so, yes, at the beginning of a paper is something called an abstract, which is basically a summary. Yeah. It's sort of the aims of the study, <clears throat> um, the methods, uh, the results, and then the conclusion. So, yes, theoretically, reading that, you should be able to get the gist of it um, without reading the whole paper. That's that's the aim of that abstract. Um, One one of the aims of the abstract. Um, Yes, but it's but it's complicated. I remember sending one about acupuncture to my sister saying, like, what do I do? Do I do acupuncture? Do I not do acupuncture? What do I do? And she just sent a message back going, if it makes you feel better, you should just do it. <laughs> that was really sweet. I think I think that's a really important point as well. Mm. I, I mean, any study that's done is done on a, a very specific population. So when you do a study, you don't want to do a, a really wide group, otherwise it will just get too confusing. So what's really important when you read the study is it was it done on someone like you? Right. Um, and we we even need to think about uh, different ethnicities as well. So if it was a study done in Japan would that necessarily be the same for um, people that lived in Canada Mm -hmm. Um, and and it might not that is why it's important for these studies to be repeated Um, they may have done a study 
on women aged 35 to 45. So whatever the results show for that, does it apply to a 25-year-old? Well, no. If, if that study was done 35 to 45-year-olds, it's only applying to that group. So, for example, uh, PGTA, most of the studies have been done on older women. Right. Uh, but, but then people extrapolate that and say, well, we should, well, even the results haven't been conclusive. Um, they, they extrapolate from that and say, oh, right, let's offer it to, to everybody. So in, in the US, a paper we published uh, recently showed that in the US, most cycles of PGT are done on younger women. Right. Um, and that's not really the group that's been mainly studied. It's mm. been the older women. Uh, for various reasons I won't go into now. But um, so there, there's so much. I mean, that's that's a huge amount. I'm trying to give you a one-year MSc <laughs> in an hour. Um, so, so We should be paying um, you your annual, annual salary for this one. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's it's a lot for anyone to take in. Um, yeah. And I, I wish I had a better answer. Uh, but I think I think websites like the hfea they've yeah. done all of that you know we scac looked at everything that came out we looked at it in a scientific way um and that's what we've reported so the the studies the studies that are going to come out from australia the studies that's going to come out from eshra again yeah. we will make the eshra paper as user-friendly as we can <laughs> so so that patients don't need to do that yeah. we will do that and so it's important for groups like the three I've mentioned to write these papers and do that work for people to understand um mm. and I think I do think we have to be careful what we read in the media if, if, if someone's oh, reported absolutely. a paper in the media it's a journalist who it might not be their speciality and, and they just I can say it won't be their speciality. Yeah, <laughs> we don't. Yeah, I, was, I, was being, I was being, I was being polite. Um, most most journalists have an English degree. They don't have a science degree. And they don't yeah. have a fertility degree. Um, and you know, I took I took twenty years to write my book. More than that, how long did I? Thirty years? Oh, I can't remember. Now. A long time. Started in nineteen eighty seven. Um, but I read hundreds of papers, and and I know about this, and I still learnt things. And yeah. realise things, and things continuously mm. change. We yeah. get new evidence all the time. And as a scientist, um, we should always question everything. So don't just always take something for granted. We have yeah. to be prepared that there's new data, um, yeah. <clears throat> and that we have to take on board new studies and new data. And we might change our mind. I've changed mm. my mind about things before because I've looked at new studies. Yeah. So I think concentrate on what's coming out from the official societies. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to the, any other mad professor anywhere else. <laughs> look, look at what look at what the societies are okay. publishing. Yeah. And as I said, there's a few big papers coming out next year, um, and yeah, I'm sure we'll all put those on social media so they can see. Mm -hmm. um, so when when the paper you were talking about earlier, where lots of people said actually it's not a good study, um, you know, then then that obviously is what we should take on board and. If the HFEA don't change their rating, the PGTA, yeah. then that they've looked at the evidence yeah. and said that's that's not good evidence, so we won't change anything. So I, I'm really happy that we've got the HFEA traffic lights and that we've got these other papers coming out. They will really help the public mm -hmm. understand this really complex science. Mm. 
Joyce, can I ask, um, we've had Emma's sister's opinion on acupuncture. <laughs> and, uh, like, I know from reading, I think you did, you did reflexology yourself. What was your position on those, those things now, which aren't necessarily IVF clinic add-ons, obviously, but it's things that people do a lot? Well, I think they are add-ons, and I've tried to get the HFEA to add, add it onto their list. Um, the, we will be talking about these in the ASHRA paper. Mm-hmm. And in Australia, I know acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine are really common add-ons and they consider them an add-on as well. So I think they are add-ons because we're saying that they're going to improve your treatment. Mm. Um, I I did try reflexology. I did try acupuncture because I, you know, this, I I went through my treatment 20 years ago and I absolutely understand you'll try anything. Um, Mm -hmm. But we didn't have any data there. We've still got no data for reflexology. No one's done a study. Okay. Um, on whether it's going to help. So we've got to understand that's the limitation. Um, for acupuncture, um, we've published a paper looking at how much clinics advertise it. And, and it's not advertised as some of the other add-ons, but it is commonly used. The HFEA did yeah. a patient survey. It's very commonly used. Um, we have just, we have submitted uh, a system, one of these systematic reviews looking at all of the latest evidence about acupuncture. And from our study, we would rate it amber. There's okay. it, the, the trouble with acupuncture, as I said, these studies have to be blind. Mm. So with acupuncture, how do you do that? <laughs> Everyone's going to know who had needles in them and who didn't have a needle in them. Um, so it's not, it, it, it can't be blind. And then there's something called sham acupuncture where you put the needle somewhere else. Um, yeah. But people have said any sort of acupuncture might have an effect. Uh, so acupuncture is actually really difficult to study um right but there's there's in my, in my view there's no conclusive evidence either way at the moment so i think if it makes people feel better um and it's sort of having that holistic uh yeah. benefit then i you know i think that's that's absolutely fine yeah but and, and i think it's anyone's decision of whether they want to have an add-on or not you know that they need to decide for themselves again if they Mm. said i'm going to use um assisted hatching or pgta i'll you know that's their decision i'm not going to say don't use it or do use it um but i'll say this is the data that we've got at the current time and this is what it's showing us but if you feel that you want to do it because i I know you get to the stage you will try anything Mm -hmm. you know after seven years i really i looked at the moon I looked at, you know, <laughs> you know, everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, you, you will. And, you know, one day if it works, then you'll think, yes, it's because I ate a banana every day, uh, which is fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think, I think we've just got to do what's right for us. And everyone's different. We are all individuals. Yeah. And what, what one people, person feels comfortable with and what the next are totally different. So um, I think with any advice about anything in life, I always say to everybody, just listen to everybody, read everything, and then make your own decision about what you want to do. And that would absolutely uh, be my advice. And there's some really useful things like, you know, don't eat an unhealthy diet. Don't drink alcohol every day. Don't smoke. Um, You know, there's some obvious things. My, My message to people would really be throughout all of our life, we really have to try and look after our well-being. Yeah. And I talk about the, the four pillars of well-being, about our nutrition, which includes alcohol, um, uh, exercise, moderate exercise, 
um, sleep and our mental health. Um, and so we need to balance those right yeah. through from puberty to the menopause. Mm. And, and if we do, I think it really helps us um, at those key stages in our life to uh, be, be prepared for things. Yeah. Um, so, it's, so it's really important. I hear people say, oh, I'm going to spend a year detoxing uh, before I start trying to have a child. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm going- a glass of wine, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've been having 10 glasses of wine every night for the last year. Um, yeah. So I, I, that always makes me a little bit sad. I think, well, oh, what are they doing that they feel they need to detox? Um, <laughs> now, and I'm no angel. I'm no angel. I had a glass. I had a <laughs> wine glass. Healthy, though, Joyce, because you are a wild swimmer, an enthusiastic I am a wild, wild swimmer. swimmer. <laughs> um, and I do exercise most days. Um, I've got a bit of a, I was going to do a workout at home today and I've got, I've, I've been spending too long in this stupid chair and I've got a bit of a sore back today, Ooh. so I'm not going to do it. Oh. Um, so um, the joys of working at home. Um, <laughs> but uh, we don't, yeah, everything in moderation. So we, again, mm. just do what's right for you. Just yeah. do what, what you feel is going to be right. And don't, you know, get upset with yourself or stress with yourself. And say, oh, I shouldn't should have had that last night. I shouldn't have had that glass of wine. And, yeah. you know, don't, don't stress. Just, I'm not going to say just relax because that's, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just mean for your own mental health. Yeah. um, You know, try and stay positive about things and, you know, just do what's right for you and and don't worry about it. If someone else is being, you know, super healthy and doing everything they should do in yoga every day, et cetera, et cetera. Don't worry. That's them and you're you. You know what's right. What's right for you. The worst thing is if you stress by the fact that, you didn't do yoga every day. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, now that's the word. Oh, I've got to make time to do an hour's workout oh, or whatever, you know, yeah. don't, that, that could make it worse. Yeah, so when you've got a job and you're trying to do IVF and you're trying to do that as well. It's exactly. Exhausting. Exactly. So don't stress about anything. Just yeah. do what, what you feel comfortable with, what's good for you. And yeah. And just take everyone's information and, and decide on, your, on yourself. It's quite common sense really, isn't it? Mm. Yes. But, like, but, but we do yeah. get, yeah. Yeah. Um, just just before we go, just before we wrap up, can we just very quickly get a kind of summary of your book and, and where we can get it and things like that? Uh, yes. So um, it covers fertility right from, I mean, it starts off with anatomy, the fact that, you know, we don't use word, the right words for vagina, for yeah. vulva. And, yeah. you know, um, it's, a, it's just amazing that we, we don't even know how anatomy works. So I start off talking about our menstrual cycle, our normal menstrual cycle, the hormones. Um, with the fertility education, we really feel that some of it can be prevented if people understand how it works. So we're trying oh God, to be yeah. preventative. You know, the fertile window, I talk a lot about the fertile window. Um, if There are definitely people who have uh, sex at the wrong time definitely. and are just missing it. Yeah. And, and it's that's individual to us. It's not out of a textbook. We can't say you're all going to ovulate on day mm. 16. You know, we're, we're individuals. So it doesn't work. So we need to find out when our first our window is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you know, I talk about uh, female fertility decline and about well-being and then chapters on sexually transmitted diseases and contraception. So it's it's not a book about trying to get pregnant and it's not yeah. a book about going through IVF. It's it's a it's a book that you could even dip into at different parts of your life when um, when you're trying not to get pregnant, or trying to get pregnant. But it's just giving you that background of what you what I think you need to know. Yeah. Um, and then then we do go into in 
fertility and infertility and fertility tests. Um, and then I, I, I finished with the menopause. I think we all need to know about the menopause yeah. as soon right. as we can, because again, yeah. at the moment it's a black box. People yeah. go into it not understanding anything about it. And that, that's mm-hmm. not how we should do anything. Same with fertility and pregnancy. We yeah. should go into pregnancy knowing almost everything at the beginning yeah. Uh, rather than you know having problems for ages and then think oh well that was taken by that surprise or... every time yeah well yeah. I mean how is that? <laughs> but I finished the book with a chapter about the future and where we may where's all this taking us where will it how will we how will our children have children oh. and I do feel that there's going to be I do feel at one point it will be the norm to have children by IVF Really? Yeah, because I think we're going to, if you've got the money, I think there'll be much more genetic testing to check that you've got a a healthy embryo. Mm, Yeah. Um, People already do it now to choose the sex of their embryo. Yeah. Um, And I think that will increase. If more women freeze their eggs, the eggs are already in the lab. And then they'll say, oh, can you test it? Check it's not going to have heart disease and diabetes. And I think that will escalate the amount of IVF we do. Wow. What future? You won't even have to have sex anymore. Amazing. No, no, you won't have to have sex. I keep saying that. You won't have to have sex to have children. You'll still have sex, but it'll just be for fun. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Don't panic. <laughs> and that is, it's called Your Fertile Years, and you can get it on Amazon? Yeah, on Amazon, Waterstones, all good bookshops. Right. All know. good bookshops. All Excellent. It's been an absolute joy to speak yeah. to you. Thank you so much. It's been a total pleasure. Then. No, I was I was swallowing very loudly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm a bit embarrassed. No, you shouldn't be. I like I like that a lot. Um, in the absence of Professor Tim, yeah. Emma, uh, uh, I was going to say, do you want to give some pre- pretend medical advice? But then maybe that's probably dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say, um, you know, check out any product. Uh, advocated by Goop. Ah, like, as in, don't have it. No, just you know, if, it, if I was giving some fake medical advice, that's what oh. it's like. Just maybe, just stick something up your vagina or steam it. I would revert to Gwyneth Paltrow in the yeah, absence of Professor Tim. If in doubt, ask Winnie. Yeah. Absolutely. What would she do? Okay, guys, um, I don't know what's going to be our, our next episode. What I do know is that it's going to come out on, I think, the 4th of January. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah it's that Tuesday. Yeah, it's Tuesday, yeah. Yep. So um, uh, we will speak to you again then. Yes. And um, we will be on Instagram, so hit us up if you need um, support, kind words, or a bit of a giggle. Yeah. Or to just rant. Just hit us up and have a rant and then Absolutely. go back yeah. to Christmas. We'll, we promise we'll listen. We'll listen. Please have a lovely one. Have we'll a lovely one, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.